Well, hello again, Rise Together listeners. Dave here. I am so happy to be speaking in community with you again after we took a pause for the past couple of weeks. First off, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your patience and thank you for your grace as we took time off for our family and our company. And uh, thank you to all of you who sent kind messages in the wake of Rachel's and my announcement last Monday. If uh, you didn't see our announcement on social media, if you're sitting here wondering what the heck is going on, where has this podcast been? Well, let me give you a very brief update. Uh, This week, Rachel and I announced that we are ending our marriage. Uh, Eventually, we hope to be able to open up about this more, perhaps even here on this podcast. But for now, we are asking for some privacy for ourselves and maybe more importantly for our kids while we work out the details of how to move forward as friends, as co-parents, and as business partners. You might be asking yourself, Dave, what will happen to the Rise Together podcasts if the hosts are no longer uh, together? Well, That is a valid question, and I want you to know that we've been thinking about it very seriously over the past couple of weeks. The short answer is this podcast will in fact continue, and it will be built on themes of togetherness that we've been exploring for a while now with me, Dave Hollis, hello, as your host. Just as Rachel and I are creating a different vision for our family, we want to explore and create a different vision of rising together here in this space with you. These past few weeks, we've seen incredible change in our country. People speaking up and fighting back and having really hard conversations with their loved ones and with themselves. I hope Rise Together can grow to reflect some of that activism through conversations with diverse voices about topics ranging from relationships to mental health, Divorce, to co-parenting, LGBTQ advocacy, to serious anti-racism conversation. People living with disabilities and those transitioning out of the military. And so, so much more. My goals are to listen, to learn, and maybe most importantly, amplify the voices that might share these topics in a way that's centered in radical love and that ends up being approachable for everyone. As excited as I am about this new direction for Rise Together, the honest truth is right now, we're not ready to fully launch this new version yet. That's why this week we wanted to share with you an episode we recorded last year when we interviewed Amit Paley from The Trevor Project. Not only because we think it's a powerful discussion about how we can show up as parents and community leaders for the LGBTQ youth, especially this month during Pride, but also because it's a great example of the kind of content we hope to bring you right here in the future. And now, without further ado, here's our interview with Amit, the CEO of The Trevor Project. So, uh, will you... My name is Amit Paley. I'm the CEO of The Trevor Project. We are the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ young people. And I have been in this role for uh, just over two years now. How's it going? It's going really well. So I'm I'm new to this role, but I'm not new to the organization. I started as a volunteer answering calls on our 24-7 phone lifeline about eight years ago now. So I've been involved and have loved this organization and just been continually moved by the fact that 
the Trevor Project saves, literally saves lives of LGBTQ young people every single day. And when I saw an opportunity to bring my skill set and help the organization to do more of that and expand it, it was just uh, an opportunity I couldn't pass up, especially with the huge, huge increase in demand for our services over the past few years. Yeah. And, and it's important for us to say, too. So we have been longtime fans and supporters of the Trevor Project. We have gone to the gala. I remember years ago when I was an event planner meeting with your team when it was much smaller trying to volunteer to throw the annual fundraiser because I believe so much in, in what y'all are doing. Will you explain for listeners who aren't as familiar with what it looks like, what your services look like on a day-to-day -day basis and why they're so needed? Of course. So we have, we have a number of different programs. A lot of people know us best for our 24-7 phone lifeline. That's how we actually got started 21 years ago. And we still operate the country's only 24-7 phone lifeline for LGBTQ youth in crisis. But it's 2019 and there are a lot of young people who would never think about picking up the phone. So we also offer crisis services via text and chat, again, available 24-7. Uh, we actually just expanded that service to be available 24-7 earlier this year so young people can reach out for help on that platform. We also run another program called Trevor Space, which is the world's largest safe space social networking site for LGBTQ youth where they can reach out to each other and get peer-to-peer -peer support when they're in crisis, when they're not in crisis, when they just need someone to talk to and not feel alone and potentially know that they're not the only ones like them in the world. Uh, that's what Trevor Space is there for. Uh, and then we also run education, research, and advocacy programs. I can talk more about all of those, but at a high level, our education programs are designed to offer LGBTQ competent suicide prevention trainings in schools. Our research programs are designed to uh, increase the amount of knowledge and evidence and research about both mental health and about LGBTQ youth. And we run a number of different uh, initiatives in our advocacy team, but our biggest focus is on ending the dangerous and discredited practice known as conversion therapy. We run the largest grassroots campaign to stop conversion therapy in every state in this country. So for listeners who don't understand why this is necessary, because I, I guarantee there are people listening who are like, I don't get it. Why? Why does this exist? Why do you I didn't even know that suicide was an it can you can you unpack that a bit of what are the statistics right now in this country? I know we live in Texas. There's a massive um, hurt here in with Texas youth. Can you just explain the age of your callers, why this exists in the first place and what they're encountering at home or at school that would put them in crisis in the first place? I think I think the first thing that people should know about in terms of broadly across the country is that suicide is a public health crisis around the world and, and in the United States. September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. So this is a really important time to make sure people are aware uh, of how um, of how much more awareness we need around suicide. Um, suicide rates in the United States have actually been increasing over the past two decades. It's the 10th leading cause of death for all uh, all people in the United States. Um, so even though it's not always talked about and in some places it's still taboo and there's a lot of stigma, um, a lot of people are dying 
um, because of suicide. So that's overall across the country. Then for young people, this is a particularly serious issue. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for all young people in this country. And in some states, for example, Utah, suicide is actually the number one reason that young people die, wow. which is heartbreaking every time thinking about that because we know that suicide is preventable. Um, but it, it's still it's still the, one of the leading reasons that young people in this country die. And then for LGBTQ young people, and for your listeners who may not be aware, when I say LGBTQ, by that we mean young people that are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning about who they are. For LGBTQ young people, they are four times more likely to attempt suicide than their peers. So within this broader public health crisis and public health crisis for young people, it's particularly acute for LGBTQ youth. And that is why the Trevor Project exists, to make sure we can be there for every LGBTQ young person. If they might be in a home where people don't accept them, if they might be in a community where people say that, that who they are is evil or wrong, that they have somewhere to reach out to and get support where people can tell them that they are beautiful the way they are, that they are deserving of love and support and can let them know that they are not alone. It's interesting because as I was finishing up my time at Disney, part of how Amit and I met originally was I walked into an opportunity to be a straight ally for the pride group at the Walt Disney Company, where the community of people who identified as being gay on campus had an opportunity to come together and represent a little bit of what it was like to kind of do life and be in a professional setting as a person who happens to be gay. And as you know, for me, I, again, like mistakenly in almost every instance where I did not identify as the person who I was walking into community with thought I understood what it was to be like someone who ultimately had a different life experience. And it wasn't until I was immersed inside of this, you know, opportunity to really hear what it was like to grapple with sexuality when you're young, to feel different, to worry about what other people might think, that I realized, frankly, some of the privilege that I experienced for when I realized that I like girls. <laughs> yeah. like, do you remember the day you chose to like girls? Like, no, I like I don't. And like it it was a it was a conversation that came out of a small group with this pride organization that I got to be a part of that made me realize the things that I never had to experience are part of why a Trevor Project exists because of the different way that processing life stages and the way that you are uh, manifest for people who happen to be gay. And so uh, the the suicide statistics in particular were a thing that I, you know, like we've been involved in charity and, and work around mental health and suicide for a long time because of Rachel's brother having passed. But it wasn't something that ever occurred to me. And then once you understand the statistics, there's this, well, now that you know, you have to do something yeah. about it. It's a crisis, like you say, but it's a magnified crisis inside of this community. Yeah, I think for me, the um, the my brother committed suicide after battling schizophrenia and depression for most of his teenage life. And I think the reason the Trevor Project has always had such a place in my heart is because Ryan was battling this horrible, horrible 
mental illness for, for so long. The idea that a young person or any person would consider taking their life or take their life because other people didn't like who they were, because they felt like they were wrong. It just, I, I have such a visceral response to that because God, we're all created in God's image and we are here for a reason and we were made this way on purpose. And and the idea that all around this country right now, and I want listeners to understand this, in your communities right now, there are teenagers who want to die because they don't feel like they would be accepted if you knew who they really were. And that is fundamentally wrong on every level. Like these are kids. And they, uh, like even if you're 45 years old, you're someone's kid. I just it, – it makes my like mama bear, like what are we doing? How can we help? What are the things that you guys have found um, that – have made the most difference. I know the call centers have been such a a huge part of what you've built the foundation on. Will you talk a bit about what those conversations are like? I know you were a volunteer in that place for a really long time. What was that like and how is that helpful to someone who's grappling with all the things? Uh, I will definitely get into that. I, I First, I just have to say, I mean, it's so it's so inspiring to have people who obviously care so much and who are role modeling what it means to be a loving, supporting member of a community. Uh, you know, we need more people who are allies who are coming in and saying, I may not know exactly what you're going through, but I'm hearing what you're sharing with me. And it's helping me understand how I can be more supportive. And people who are talking about young people who are in pain, because you know, there's so many people who don't want to talk about suicide, who don't want to talk about the shame and alienation that young people feel. And I think until we can be comfortable talking about that, we can't help to direct people and get people motivated on how to change their behavior and make sure they're coming from a place of love and caring and support, uh, because that really does make such a huge difference in the lives of young people. Absolutely. Uh, but to, so, so to your point, I, I've I've been volunteering and answering calls. And I, I still actually take calls on our lifeline. Um, so I've had a lot of really incredible calls. I, I think some of the calls are some of the calls are really beautiful in the sense of their young people reaching out for the first time and saying something like, "I'm trying to decide if I should come out. No one knows that I'm." gay. And I think if anyone ever found out, they wouldn't accept me. And I just don't know if I can come out what people would say. And when that sort of conversation happens, we share with that young person, well, actually, you just told me that you're gay. And um, I want you to know that I'm incredibly proud of you for um, sharing who you are. And I still think you're as amazing as you were when we first started this conversation. And it helps to, it can sometimes help them to understand um, what it is like to share who you are and not have people um, react with that, with that sense of, of hate or um, rejection. But we also have a lot of really challenging calls. I, I remember one that I took a number of years ago from a young person who was, um, uh, I'll, I won't say the state, but they were calling from the Midwest and um, their father had found out, 
they were LGBTQ and had said, you're disgusting, you're an abomination before God, you have disgraced this family, I've left the gun cabinet unlocked. Oh, God. Leaving the house right now, you know what the right thing to do is. Oh, my gosh. I think with with all the progress that is made in certain parts of, of the community and parts of the world, there are still people who are so afraid and so filled with hatred that they could say something to their child. So I, it was ended up being a very long conversation to support this young pe- person and get them to a place where they could be safe. But what I what I said to that young person, um, part of what I said to that young person, which is which is what we say to so many young people that we hear from. Uh, is that there may be people who don't accept you for being who you are. And your father may be one of those people. And there may be other people like that in your family and community. But I I need you to know that there are many people in this world who will not only accept you for being who you are, but will celebrate you, you for being who you are. And I want you to know that I am one of those people and I am incredibly proud of you. And when we say something like that, we just often hear, you know, tears on the other end of the line because it is someone who their whole life has been afraid of rejection and then if they may have come out they may have felt and heard that rejection in the harshest um, way and to know that there are people in the world who see them for who they are and who accept them and celebrate them for being here there that sort of messaging literally can save lives of people Um, and so that is both what we do um, on our programs, when people reach out to us to let young people know that we see them and that they're beautiful the way that they are. And we also try to help people um, and educate people that um, they can be that source of support for people in their lives. You know, there, There's a really important statistic that having just one supportive person in your life um, can reduce an LGBTQ young person's risk of suicide by 30%. And I hope all your listeners know they can be that one person. Yeah. They can be that person sending love and support to people in their life, um, to people they come across, and letting them know that they're an ally and supportive um, and that there are people who will be there for them. Well, I also think it's important, at, you know, if you're listening to this and you're sort of grappling with a conversation that maybe you haven't even thought of before, it's important to think of that privilege that you have never had to have someone say, like, I accept and love you the way that you, like, you never were longing for that because you always had it. And and maybe there are people listening who are like, oh, my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about because uh, I was this way, because of this thing. I have wished for that my entire life. But if what we're talking about doesn't resonate with you, that is a privilege, the fact that you just got to grow up, you just got to be in relationship, you just got to do all of these things, and you never had to worry about what someone else would think of you for that or how they would treat you or how they would speak to you is a privilege. And in that privilege is a responsibility to show up for other people who don't have access the way that you do. We walked with um, two of our best friends. We walked with them as they came out for the first time, as they um, told everyone that they were in relationship, as we watched the church community react to that and people who loved them and, and, and cared about them so well on, you know, last week and suddenly knew something different about them now were super hateful and 
we having and we can't possibly understand how hard or painful that was for them but we certainly got a front row seat to just a little bit of how all of a sudden you were someone else all of a sudden all the things that we loved about you are a best friend you are our sister you were this and and now I learned this one thing about you and it changed everything and it's just it's the opposite of the way that I want to live out this life and build this community. We, you know, we're so dead set on the idea that everybody is welcome here and that there's beauty in doing life with people who are not like you and not, and not doing life with people who are not like you so that you can change them, but doing life with people who are not like you because it softens the edges of your heart and it changes your perception about what the world is. Uh, What's interesting, even like in doing this episode, there inevitably, because there's enough people that listen, there will be people who are frustrated or upset by the fact that we're having a conversation about supporting the LGBTQ community, which, by the way, is bananas to me. Like, this is a resource that is literally saving lives that like showing up for and loving thy neighbor is the tenet of why this organization exists. And yet because of something that for whatever reason, the way they were taught, the way that they believe what there, there's a decision that the idea that we might celebrate the saving of lives of people who identify in a certain way would give them pause for wanting to be supportive of it. It, it primarily just to me says you probably haven't been in community with anyone knowingly. I mean, you have been, but you just don't realize you have been who's gay that would have had the opportunity because of their proximity to you to change the way that you think the stigma, the taboo, the whatever that it might be that gives you any reservation for wanting to be supportive of somebody who's doing good work to try and prevent the loss of life. It makes me want to pull my hair out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and I, I hope, you know, if people are listening who might be feeling that way, um, you know, I, I, I think our message for them is that there may be people who have different views about policies and things, um, you know, related to LGBTQ people. And, and I think we understand that that is the case. What we hope that everyone, regardless of their religious background or political beliefs or how the party they belong to, is the idea that every life is important, every life is worth saving, and LGBTQ people do exist. And we know that by supporting them and, and sharing love and affirmation with them, that we can help save lives. And so I, I think we've, we've actually done, at the Trevor Project, we've done work with um, religious groups and communities of faith who don't always agree with us on every topic. I mean, some of the work we've been doing um, with many other partners in, in Utah in particular, which I mentioned earlier, has a real crisis with suicide um, in that state. Um, the the uh, LDS church, the Mormon church, has, has been doing a lot of work and actually been talking and supporting efforts to decrease LGBTQ youth suicide because they realize that LGBTQ people exist and they want to make sure that they can be safe, even if they may disagree with certain people in our community about what laws and policies might be, we should all be able to come from a place of hopefully love and saving lives. Absolutely. Here, here. Do you feel heartened by, like, do you feel like there's a shift in media or social 
that is more accepting and more loving. And the reason I ask is not all social platforms, obviously, some of them are just an absolute dumpster fire. But um, I recently got on TikTok. Are you you familiar with TikTok? Yeah, yeah. So it's like basically like for 12 year olds. Uh, (laughs) And I got on it so that I could create content that was specifically for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And what I am so like, I could cry. I'm so blown away by the representation that I find and the acceptance that I find on that platform in particular. And I think it's because it's mostly run by kids uh, that it feels like future generations are going to be more accepting and loving than certainly when I was growing up in the eighties. Do you feel like that too? Or am I just getting served content (laughs) that they know I want to see? Well, I, I think I think there has been the, the general arc over the past few decades has certainly been to more um, overall acceptance for LGBTQ people. And, and I think you're right that, um, you know, I believe that people are born inclined towards good and towards loving people and that there are forces that um, can impact that, that that can generate more hate. So I think that overall arc is is, is correct. Um, it, it also is true that there have been moments in the past few years where there have been um, very public uh, events and, and very hateful rhetoric in public that have in some cases created backlashes towards love and acceptance. And that often has actually impacted um, some of the most vulnerable and, and least understood parts of the LGBTQ community, in particular people who are transgender um, and non-binary. We saw at the Trevor Project the day after the presidential election in 2016, our call volume at the Trevor Project more than doubled in a 24-hour period of time from young people who just felt alone and hearing so many people in public talking about taking away rights from LGBTQ people were not sure if there was a place for them in this world. And Absolutely. So, um, I do believe that the the overall arc of the moral universe universe does bend towards justice, but there have clearly been setbacks and um, some backsliding. And I think that's why it's so important for us to continue talking, educating people, and, and really encouraging people to come from a place of, of love and, and support and caring. So for listeners who hear this, we have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of parents who listen in. And they are let's say they're grappling with this conversation maybe for the first time and they're trying to think of how can they better parent the next generation to be accepting, to be loving, to have those conversations. I I would argue that my kids are more hip and wise to what's going on in the world than I am. But if you're listening to this and you're a parent, do you have any advice of maybe you don't currently have anyone in your life who's LGBTQ but you want to make sure that you're raising a generation of people who accept everybody, what does that look like in 2019 and beyond? Yeah, I I think it's such an important thing for parents to be aware of because kids, kids listen, they hear everything. And there, you know, there may be an, an off, off the cuff sort of remark that you make using a word that is a slur or a word about we're not like those people or something negative and young people pick that up if they're not an lgbtq person they might pick that up and begin to think 
well, if my parents think that, then I'm not going to be accepting of those types of people. And if they are an LGBTQ person, even if they maybe are not totally aware of it at that time, they might remember that comment and it might be a reason that they are not comfortable talking about who they are with you. It might be a reason that they feel alone. It might be a reason that they're afraid that they'll be rejected by you. And all those things can put that young person at much higher risk of negative mental health outcomes and, and, and of including suicide. Um, so I think what I would urge parents to do is to really try to use inclusive and loving language as much as you can. Um, you know, to talk about people who are different than you and how people, all people are different, but all people um, are deserving of love and respect. Um, and making sure that you, your children know that you love them no matter who they love, no matter who they end up being. Um, because those, I think it's those types of messages that have such a deep impact. You know, one thing I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation is a lot of work we do around um, ending conversion therapy. We just had a study that came out um, that showed that two thirds of LGBTQ young people have had someone try to convince them to change their sexual orientation or gender identity. And we found that young people who've undergone conversion therapy are more than twice as likely to attempt suicide as those who did not. So the, the idea of trying to change who, who your child is or who someone is, the idea of telling someone um, you're not valid, who, who you are is not valid or, uh, or someone that we want to be associated with, that literally leads people to, to want to kill themselves and has an impact on their mental health. And so really just urging parents and everyone to be really, really careful um, about your language and making sure it's as loving and inclusive as possible. I mean, coming out of my experience uh, with Disney, I ended up getting this tattoo on my arm. It says ally, and it was a, a kind of a twofold prompt. One, a reminder of the responsibility that comes with my privilege for having not had to think about whether I need to convince people to love me for who I am and how I was created. But also, I wanted it to be a regular conversation starter with my four kids that I'm going to be an ally and advocate for them, whether they decide to have a job that's out of the house or in the house, whether they end up identifying as gay or straight, whether they end up doing, frankly, whatever, because I'm going to love them and I want to make sure that they feel that love. In part, I wanted to create an environment that would say, please be comfortable to come and have a conversation with me, no matter what the thing is, because you can't come to me with something that's going to make me decide that I'm not going to be a supporter of you. I mean, yeah. I, certainly, you could make choices in life that I'd have to have a conversation accountability wise with you, but you're, there's not, I can't, I honestly, I can't think of something that would be a non-starter for a conversation. And part of being an ally in this context or any context is just making them feel comfortable enough to come and be honest about what they're feeling. A lot of times the people who find suicide as the option are there because they don't feel like they have someone they can go to and have an honest conversation about yeah, I think for um, when it comes to losing someone through suicide, I always think of my dad always said about my brother, like it was a it was a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah, like because everything that moment that you're feeling the emotions, all of those things, it is it is passing. But 
if you have a gun, that the decision's done. Like there is no coming back from that. And so I think the idea that like I, I it's why I got on TikTok, it's why I create content that's specifically for this age group. There is so much pain in this. And we all were there, right? We were all in middle school. We all went through high school. It's awful. It sucks for everybody. But I think if you're listening to this and you are a parent or you just care about the next generation and you don't understand the things that these kids are grappling with beyond like questioning their sexuality or trying to figure out who they are, the pressure of grades, the pressure of bullying or popularity or being the right size. Or, there's so much pain in this age group there's so much more access to information. They're on social now. So not only do magnifies they have a – Yeah, everything. magnifies everything. And now you add in this thing and the judgment of family or friends or your community and you risk the like a permanent decision of what was this beautiful life that didn't even get the chance to be what it was supposed to be. Um, so I think that it's about – being in conversation with your kids, I think it's about being aware of what's going on. You're, if you, I promise you, your kids know more Way than more. you think that they do. Um, and this is, it's, it's exactly what you said. It is an epidemic. It's, it's a huge, huge problem. Will you? Um, I, I know because I remember when y'all, you and Dave talked. There, you were saying there are parts of the country where this is significantly more of a problem than other parts. Is that? or states where it's harder than others? Well, I, I you know, there, there are uh, differences in overall um, and in overall rates of, of suicide. And I mentioned Utah is a state where suicide is the number one reason that young people die. Um, but it, it is also the case that this is a major, major public health crisis in every single state in the country. And I had something that well, this can't be a problem in New York City or in San Francisco or in West Hollywood. And turns out to be the case that there are that there are people in crisis everywhere. And there are people who feel alone and rejected everywhere. Um, it is also the case that there are a lot of communities that, you know, there might be stereotypes that they are not not supportive places. And in in even the most, the places that are the most conservative that people might not expect there to be support. There are LGBTQ people there and there are parents and families there that are just filled with love and pride um, for their children and for their neighbors and for their church members um, and for their community members. And I think that's what we're trying to encourage. I, I, I just, I have to say, I was so moved by both of you talking about things that you do that maybe you just sort of take for granted, but Dave, you know, the, the fact that you are such a visible ally, I mean, that, you know, I heard about that from our, our, our mutual friend, um, Ricky Strauss, who used to be the chair of the Trevor Project board. You know, people, people at Disney knew that you were an ally. And I, maybe many of them came up and talked to you, but I am very confident that there are people that you made a real difference in their ability to feel safe and comfortable at who they are that maybe never told you that maybe you never spoke to them, but just knowing that there is someone who works with them, someone who's successful, um, that, that, that sort of messaging, some of which is conscious and some of which is not, those are the types of messages that have such a huge difference in making people feel 
supported and loved and comfortable being who they are. And so I just I just want to make sure that people listening don't underestimate the huge difference that they can make. Small, subtle things that you do in letting people know that you um, support them, that you're a person that they can talk to if they're in crisis, that you're supportive of LGBTQ people, that literally could save someone's life. And you may not know that that happened right away. You may find out about it years later, but don't underestimate the power that your words and the love can have. That's so good. Thank you. Dang it. I feel affirmed. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Which was the whole point of today's conversation. Jeez. Well, you Thank needed you. more affirmation. Can can you give us, I mean, obviously crisis is ongoing and there are so many people that you will help, but do you have stats on how many calls you've taken? Do you have any way of kind of capturing the magnitude of the impact that the Trevor Project has had over time? Well, we we know how many people we have um, been in contact with across all our different um, programs and platforms. I mean, over the years, it's it's millions and millions of people that have been um, impacted or touched in some way by our work. Um, we actually, we don't know how many people, how many lives ultimately were saved by what we've done. We, we, we did an independent evaluation of our programs a few years ago, and um, we were actually nervous about doing it um, because we had never really measured how successful our programs were in having impact. Um, these independent researchers found that 90% of the LGBTQ youth that we served on our crisis programs saw a significant reduction in their suicidal ideation. I mean, 90% is a really, really high number in a wow. public health intervention. And they saw that that impact, not just at the point of crisis, but when researchers followed up weeks later, they continued to see that reduction in suicidal ideation. So, um, we we know that we know that the work that we do um, saves lives every day, and that's why we're so focused on continuing to grow and scale our programs, so we can make sure that every LGBTQ young person knows that they are not alone and can always reach out to us for help. If someone is listening and they want to get involved, they want to be helpful. Will you tell us some ways that we can do that? Uh, so there are a number of ways if people are listening and want to get involved. Um, there's lots of information on our website, www.thetrevorproject.org. Uh, you can find information there if people want to volunteer. Um, we have different programs you can volunteer. If people want to donate, you can find information on how to donate and help us um, expand the work that we're doing. If you're looking for um, resources and information that you can share in your community, um, those are on our site as well. And if you are a young person who's listening or someone who um, works or um, uh, is in contact with young people, um, all our resources are there. Our, our toll-free 24-7 phone number is 1-866-488-7386. Um, people can also text us. Um, by texting 678678. Uh, and there's lots more resources, all of which people can find uh, on our website. Again, it's www.thetrevorproject.org. We are so happy to have been able to get you on this show to talk about the life-saving, life-changing work that you and this organization are doing. It is, uh, I mean, you, you're, you can have 50 jobs after this, and I think you'll look back at the time that you've spent 
in this organization, leading this organization, and be proud of the work that you have done. You are doing good work saving lives, and we are grateful for you. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. Thank you for being such um, huge supporters of our work, and thank you for bringing this important visibility to our work and to the suicide prevention community, especially in September, which is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Right on. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here.